0: Hello guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. If you are new here, my name is Paris Prankiewicz, and I am the creator and host of the Crooked Illness podcast, where we get into all things health-related. The primary focus of the podcast within the umbrella of health related topics is mental health and mindset. I began Crooked Illness as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for starting Crooked Illness stems from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I decided to start Crooked Illness to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. I offer my perspective on the work I've done and how it inspired me to begin this podcast. Along with this perspective, I also speak about my personal experience with mental health and how I use those experiences to help educate, inspire, and motivate others. I really enjoy doing interviews and connecting with people who also love to discuss and learn more about mental health. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or to my email of crookedillness at gmail.com. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Crooked Illness. As you guys can see, if you look at the title of this episode, it is a story on mental health turned film, and I'm so excited to get into this episode today with my guest, who I'm going to be introducing you guys to in a moment. He is incredible, has done so much in terms of helping with mental health, also through using his own story, his own experiences, and things that he has gone through with his mental health, um, through his life story. Um, and I'm not going to say too much about it cause I'm going to be introducing you guys to him in a minute, but the p- purpose of this episode, I really wanted to create it because after having an incredible conversation with this guest, we got on a call. And like I do usually with all of the guests that I have on Crooked Illness, I get on a call with them, chat with them, see what they want to focus on, what they want to talk about, all those things, get to know them, all of it, all of it, all of it. So we had, we got into this conversation, and he shared with me about the creation and the process behind turning um, something he had been working on for a while into a film that is now available to be um, watched on YouTube, and um, it is called A Chant, and we'll be getting into that in the episode. But what I really liked about this conversation in particular is the things that he shared with me in terms of how he was able to overcome a lot of the struggles that he faced earlier in his life related to struggling with mental health, mental illness, BPD, uh, borderline personality disorder, and all of those things. And he also really is really, really good at breaking things down um, and making these scenarios very easy to understand for people who maybe don't know a lot about uh, mental illness and mental health, borderline personality disorder. You know, maybe they they haven't been exposed to it, or they just they just don't know a lot about it. So he he breaks this down in a very easy to understand way, especially when he talks about the process of creating his film, directing it, and walking the actors <laughs> through the this character, and you know explaining you know, trying to reference points in his life of what it was like to deal with panic attacks on a regular basis and to really put that into something that people can watch and people can watch in this film and really walk away from it and say, wow, you know, I have such a better understanding of what this must be like and what what, what living like this looks like for someone through the eyes of someone who has struggled with uh, borderline personality and putting that out there into the world. So I really enjoyed this conversation, and he also um, gets into problems. And when I say problems, the view we have of problems. So you know whether we are viewing ourselves as a problem or viewing viewing things in our life as problems that need solving, and how to step away from personalizing this view of. Us being, you know, the thing that's broken or, you know, can't get fixed, can't get repaired. It's us. It's, you know, this is the way it is. It's stuck this way. And instead of shifting that to there are things, there are challenges, there are obstacles in our life and things that we have faced that are, that can be considered problems and can be looked at that looked at that way, but we can work towards solving that and putting systems in place and things in place to work towards moving towards that solution and away from staying stuck in this place of feeling like it's us, you know, we're, we're the issue here. We can't, we can't come out of it. We can't come out of it. So he really explains that very well. Um, And that's really what I also wanted to highlight here in this episode. But this entire conversation is really going to be circulating around his story this film that he put together, the, the process of working through that, and also kind of the process of overcoming obstacles when it comes to the stigma that we so often associate at times with our own experiences of struggles that we have faced with our mental health. And things like that, and of that nature. So, we kind of get into all that, all that different stuff here in this episode. Um, it is very, very fun, very entertaining conversation. And I hope that you guys enjoy this one just as much as I have enjoyed creating it and putting it out here into the world for you guys to check out. So, let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> Hello, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Crooked Illness. As you guys can see, we are going to be diving into a story on mental health turned film today. I'm very excited to have Jamie Bennington, son of the late Chester Bennington, here with me to get into the meaning behind today's episode title. Jamie is a writer, director, visual artist, and the man behind the short film, A Chant, which gives a powerful insight into the life and mind of someone living with paranoid schizophrenia i'm very excited to have jamie here with us to share his story and all the incredible work he has done and is currently doing for the world of mental health so without further ado welcome jamie to the podcast hi thanks for having me yes very excited to have you here today and i'm so so glad that uh, my friend amanda webster connected the two of us she is incredible you guys I had her on a podcast episode Amanda came on share her story she connected Jamie and I through email we had an incredible phone call he told me you know everything that we're going to be getting into this episode today which I'm excited to dive right into but before we go ahead and do that I would love for you to tell us tell us more about your story
1: um First of all, I think, I think Amanda deserves two shout outs.
0: Yes. yes. Amanda's
1: Amanda's really, really cool. And um, I love her lots. But um, my story is, is quite, um, it's kind of like an epic, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of things going on, but um, yes, my, my father was Chester Bennington and um, I, had an interesting run-in with uh, mental illness and mental health um, from a very young age. So um, I, I personally have dealt with um, mental illness in all, all avenues of my family, and, um, including myself. And I didn't even realize until I was 23 and I stumbled across it that I dealt with um, undiagnosed borderline personality disorder. And um, I, I was one of those people that just thought panic attacks every day for 23 years, is a total normal happening, uh, only to find out that that was absolutely not true. Um, and I think that's a good a good starting point because um, right after that, I started really thinking critically about mental health and and what was going on with me. And um, I that led me down a very interesting path through my spirituality. Um, to a practice of spirituality, to um, an understanding of the world and the society that we live in that I did not have before, and to um, endless uh, coping mechanisms, endless amounts of coping mechanisms that I didn't even think were, um, you know,
0: uh, possible,
1: I guess. Yeah. Yeah,
0: When you talk about, so you talk about at 23, you know, just thinking that having panic attacks and all this stuff was was normal. (laughs) So how did you um, come across that and realize that, what was going on, and what we were what you were experiencing was something else.
1: Um, I, I think it was just like I, I had to. I'm, I'm very articulate. I'm I love documenting things, and I love understanding things from um, an objective, kind of almost bird's eye view standpoint. And so I I often was trying to explain my situation to people, and also keeping track of it, and being like, well, this. I, I I came, I come from a family of, of gaslighters. That's so a lot of, anytime I had to defend myself, I had to be very articulate, very particular about what happened because of course I'd be told it didn't happen or that I was crazy or whatever. And so I became really good at being super articulate about things that were very hard to be articulate about, because if not, then I didn't have the uh, community to go to, to talk to. Um, And even then it was, there were slim chances. And when I ended up, uh, when my father passed, I ended up having to deal with a lot of things that um, weren't new, but were just kind of like exaggerated versions of things that i already been through. Like the panic was amplified. The grief was amplified. The um, anxiety was amplified. The confusion was amplified. And when I started describing what it was that I was feeling and going through to people, I started realizing like I didn't really even understand what I was talking about. Um, and then, you know, because people would be like, well, aren't you happy or are you sad? Or are you grieving? I'd be like, no, I, I didn't know what I was talking about. So um, when I started thinking about it, I started going through what emotions were for me. And I think the first thing that tipped me off was like, I suddenly realized that all of my emotions were one singular emotion, just interpreted differently. And that that really is one of the first understandings I came to that led me down the path to where I'm able to sit here and talk about it.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember when we had that conversation, when we were talking on the phone and you, you brought up that point of, you know, describing what you were feeling, describing what was happening during that time. And then kind of like you mentioned just there, you know, not really fully understanding what you were even saying. And then, and then coming to the conclusion of emotions, you described that in such an interesting way for me last time you talked about, you know, realizing that, um, the emotions that you were feeling were, how did you put it? You put it a certain <laughs> way. I I can't yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. say yeah.
1: Um, I I came to the conclusion that um, we don't have emotions. Uh, what what we consider to be emotion, what we're taught to view as emotion and treat as emotion, from the day we're born, is actually a a number of stimuli that correlate to your environment. Um,
0: wow. which
1: is to yeah. say that something's hot or cold or something's dangerous or safe or that you're hungry or full or sad or happy. Um, sad or happy is a bit, a bit more convoluted than you actually think it might be because there is no such thing as being happy. Like what is happy? You find that happy can be broken down into many other things like security, feeling safe, feeling full, not having that feeling of hunger um, when you're you know, maybe low on money and you can't afford groceries or things like that. And, um, basically we've been taught to interpret these, what, what are basically just gut instincts that are just, uh, suggestions from your body about the world around you. Um, Ah. we, instead of viewing it like that, we're taught to view it as like, oh, well, I'm mad or I'm angry instead of being like, well, why am I angry? Well, I feel, I feel threatened by this. Why do I feel threatened by that? Because it's, it's threatening maybe my security in my home or my relationship or, my job, which I need my job so I can have a home and a relationship, and I, yeah, and it, and you can see that these things really they break apart real easily yeah, into these yeah. kind of just base stimuli, and that wow. that's the conclusion I came to. It took like three years, but
0: that's, that's so, not to say I don't I've, have emotions. That's <laughs> so interesting. Like I've ne- I've never heard that expressed in that way before because when you really think about it right like what you just said there you know when you're younger and you're learning about you know happiness sadness and like you you yeah. know you sit in your class and they're showing you the different faces of smi- a smiley face sad face angry face and we're taught these emotions and sometimes you know I can thinking back from you know being a kid and you know some of these emotions were like looked at as good and these ones yeah. are looked at as bad. Yeah. And if you're feeling this way, you need to try as hard as you can to get out of that and back into the good side. Right. So if you're feeling sad, bad, go back to the happy side. If you're feeling mad, not good, go back to this side. And it's almost like yeah. we're you know, being taught that so young that it's, it's, it almost does make it very difficult and challenging to express what you're feeling when you are feeling sad. Or you, and you don't re- maybe you don't even know what you're feeling. You know, you're feeling something, but you don't know how to put that into yeah. words and you've and you kind of feel afraid of trying to put that into words because you don't want to put it into the wrong words
1: well i think i think it is a matter of vocabulary because yes. when we cuz cuz everybody's hesitant to say well i'm happy mm-hmm. for example because happiness is fleeting and it's it, part of the american dream is like you work hard so you're happy you have a good family so you're happy and so eventually what happens is if you don't have a happy life you you go well, it's happy anyways. And then you confuse yourself because you have to lie to yourself. And there, there's a big thing about that in meditation. It's um, the, the core tenet of any mindful meditation or really any meditation in general, which is, you know, you're not trying to silence your thoughts. You're trying to take a step away from them. It's a, it's a stream that's always flowing. There are eddies. There's a direction. Maybe it turns back in on itself, but you're not ever able to stop it. And, and the thing I found with that tenet is that, they don't describe why, really. Um, In most practices, it's more just like a a disengagement technique is just viewing it as a stream and not as as something that you're supposed to necessarily engage with. And when I thought about it really, really deeply, I came to the same conclusion, which was, you know, like, the reason it's a nonstop flow almost a, a equivalent to like a river or an ocean is because it is you have every single second every every fraction of a fraction of a second you're bringing in like you know dozens to a hundred bits of information and that's what it is that's what that that thing you're getting involved with is um, it's it's a flow of data that you're not you're not separating yourself from and i think I think it's a vocabulary right it's like well if I take you know, half that data and I go, well, I, what I'm experiencing is happiness, then suddenly you're talking about it as happiness. And then that obviously, like I said, leads you to the fallacy of believing that happiness is something uh, which allows you to then confuse yourself later when you have to lie to yourself about whether or not you're happy.
0: Wow. That also, those things disappear. That, that's so, oh my gosh. Wow. That reminds me of, I think we, I think we got into this a little bit last time, but um, about about the happiness thing right is like when we when we reach certain points in our life right we set these mm-hmm. points and once once we reach this yeah. then we'll be happy but then what happens mm-hmm. once you reach that then there's another thing once I reach this there's always once go, right? and then right so it's like so it's like when you really think about it if there's all if the point is always moving like you meet it it's moving if you like it's always constantly shifting and going over here going over there how are you ever actually going to be able to experience happiness maintain happiness and, yeah. and have that and thinking about you know something that you brought up that was last time we talked that has been super helpful to you was what you just said right there was meditation mm-hmm. so i would love to hear you know like when did you get into meditation and when did you start practicing it and what differences have you noticed in your life because of doing meditation
1: oh that's a great question huh? <laughs> Well, uh, I guess I, I'll try to reduce it to something more general, um, because there are obviously a lot of spe- specific details, a lot of specificity in the way that it's affected me. And, and I'm not sure I could list all those right now. But the, um, the uh, practice of meditation came to me um, about four years ago, really, because I, I started doing it. And then I uh, i hadn 't come to the understanding of what my emotions were and what my my struggle was, um, or that I had anything wrong in the first place um, and so it took me about a year I, I did it a couple times, and I was like well this isn 't really working for me because you know you it 's hard to get your mind um, in a, a, under control in a way where you let it have freedom, is <laughs> oh, like yeah. a weird contradictory thing, but um, at first it was like, it was like the hardest thing in the world because I was in so much denial and I was, I I was, you know, the degree of the uphill battle was, it was, it was at such a slant that it felt like I was never making any progress upwards. And then my father died. And, and um, I always say this and, and and people take it a certain way and that's, you know, on them, but I felt a big weight lifted off my shoulders. There's a lot of expectation and pressure that comes off your shoulders when somebody's not around to put it there anymore, whether they mean to or not. I'm not saying it was intentional or anything like that, but um when i realized that i need i needed to think um very seriously about what i was going through and what i was feeling because when i realized that i wasn't feeling what i thought i was feeling um i started to look at that and i had to peel back the layers of this this kind of confusion or um absence of understanding i guess um and to realize like what emotions were what I was feeling and when I did that um, things we call them synchronicity but serendipitous things started happening where um, meditation almost kind of fell into my life but then again I was also looking for it you know so it's it's a little bit of both and then um, I basically just gone through periods of like intense practice and then falling away from the practice so I can absorb more of life lessons and life's lessons and yeah, then go, um, yes. go back into it with a different understanding. And so I'll have like periods where I, I do uh, really serious meditation for about two or three months and then I'll go two or three months or sometimes four or five. If it's a serious, you know, uh, uh, time for learning a time of evolution in like my, in myself, um, um, I'll, I'll not do pr- really any of it. I'll think, I'll think heavily. I'll do like waking meditations where I'll be thinking all day, but I won't sit down with myself for an hour and, and go into the thoughts wow. of it and whatnot. That's so and, cool.
0: And, That's amazing. Yeah. Just- and it, it's
1: really, really hard. And the thing is, it's like, it's really, really hard, especially if you're sick, especially if you have something like borderline personality. And in fact, um, the people I've met who, who have BPD or the forums I've looked at or the research I've done on it um, almost everybody's like meditation's not good because you're naturally thinking in delusion. So it's, it's not, um, super healthy because with BPD, you know, the, the, one of the big issues is, is that you convince yourself things are true and they're not mm-hmm. true. And, um, so if you don't have a good foundation, um, you can actually make your condition worse because yeah. you'll sit there and you'll ruminate on things you shouldn't be
0: ruminating Have on. you found something like that? So like when you talk about the foundation of that, so if you have, you know, borderline personality and you're doing meditation and um, how do you, is, the, is there a way that something that you found of how to, how to come away from that place of, you know, staying so much in that delusion and moving towards yeah? Um, away is, is there something that you found that's like helpful in that um
1: accountability is always good i okay. mean cuz the thing is is like uh, when when everything is uh, said and done you know you're um you've got you and that's it so even if you have a partner or you have a family or you have good friends at the end of the day um it's not like as as serious and bleak as like well, you you're born alone and you die alone it's more <laughs> yeah. like it's more like you know you you're not always going to have Um, people around who can keep you accountable in the way that's necessary Mm -hmm. and so you're responsible for yourself Mm -hmm. even if you are sick Um, because it's one thing to have an episode and be like well that's not my fault I'm sick I could do whatever I want
0: and then be like
1: oh yeah you know what I'm really sorry about that I'm trying really hard on this thing it might take some time you know I, I just want you to know I didn't mean what I said or I didn't mean what I did um please be patient with me and and that's accountability and then doing it different next time no matter whether it's incrementally or wholesale um because sometimes you know um like I get really loud in my fits and I'll I'll have to like stand still and I'll just have to stand still until it goes away um that's still trying and that's still being accountable for your actions and I think when I, when I went into it, I, I I think I'm almost blessed by the fact that I came from a family full of denial and gaslighting and manipulation, because one of my things when I started uh, meditation was, well, one, I treated my BPD like depression, because I thought I just had just clinical depression, um, which wasn't true. And then, um, so I kind of got lucky in that sense, too, because I started treating it as something else. And thankfully, the treatment for the other thing actually helped the treatment for the thing I actually had.
0: Wow. Um, and then, so I got
1: lucky. I got lucky. I wouldn't say that that's something everybody should do. Yeah. Um, but then I also was like, you know, I'm aware that I feel differently. And I started working on intention and what my intention was, what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I had spoken to you about like, um, you know, my, my purposes, I see it as like learning these things so I can teach other people these things and, and, and in a sense, liberate them. Um, through my my experience. And the only way to do that is to be honest and be accountable and have the right intention. I can't do it for something like money or fame or, or intrigue or anything like that. I have to do it because I want to help. Um, but more importantly, because I want to help myself,
0: yeah. I, I always say it's, oh, yeah. it's
1: going inward and then outward. It's not going outward than inward. I can't, I can't help you Paris until yes. I help I love, me.
0: I love that so much. And that, that really yeah. brings me back to something. So last time we spoke, you said something that I thought was so powerful and just really stood out to me. So I do this a lot. Like I'll write things down that people say in these conversations. And this is what you said. So I thought it was like, I just really want to dive into this one. Cause we were, t- we were talking, um, and you said to me, you know, I I am not a problem to be solved, but I have problems that need solving. Yeah. And I really love that. So I would love to ask you, you know, like talk more about this and, you know, what you meant by it. Cause I just thought the way you phrased that and put that was so eye opening.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I was always kind of branded as the artistic kid who didn't want the normal job, who was ungrateful because I didn't want the normal job, who felt entitled because I thought the world owed me something. And I used to have these conversations with my my mom where I was like, I don't understand why I have to pay taxes. Like, I don't understand why I have to go work 40 hours a week. I, I don't want to do it. Like I didn't ask to be born for one. So you had me and now I pay taxes and go work a full-time <laughs> job. And yeah. I go to college and I hate it. And like um, there was a big disagreement with myself in that. And um, it was always like, well, then you need to fix yourself because that's the way things are. And you just have to get used to doing things you don't want to do. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Cause isn't it my life, you know? Yeah. And then, and so I kind of grew up with this, like on all sides from my friends, my family, all these people, like as if I was the thing that needed to be fixed because my mindset was wrong, but um, I never felt that way. And it was very conflicting. And then, you know, when I realized, when I started meditating and, and working on myself, working on intention and being aware of things, uh, I call it intentional awareness and mindful meditation. Um, you know, it's it, it kind of changed the way I looked at things. And I realized, like, well, maybe the people saying things are wrong or saying that they are reluctant to do things or resistant to do things. Maybe they aren't actually the people that are the problem. Like, maybe, maybe it wow. isn't a people problem. Maybe it's a psychological problem or a. A values problem because um, I also mentioned this was that my I, I live by like three three tenets, which is like my definitions of things, my relationships to those things that I define, and then my, my practice of keeping that definition and that and that relationship. Um, and I realized like instantly like wait I don't I'm not the problem I have things that need to be solved and those can be seen as problems or challenges. Um, but you know, one of those things is like, how do I, Is it hard? Yes. But how do I not do the, um, 40 hour work week and still maintain my writing and my music or my, you know, um, even my leisurely time, everybody needs time for themselves. Like why, why is it weird that I
0: I want to play video games, (laughs) you know, I I just love the way you put that because, you know, for, for a lot of the times, you know, just thinking back for my own self, like when I was a lot younger struggling with what I was dealing with, like I felt that way as well. You know, I felt like, like I was the problem and there's nothing like anything outside of me or like going on inside of me that needs to be fixed. It's me. But I think that that's so like just the awareness of that, that the fact that you, have gained that and you're able to help other people through that and through your story, through the documentary, which we're going to be getting into soon. Cause I'm super, super excited to dive into that. But I just, I like the way you lay that out there is, you know, you are not, yes, you may be struggling with something. Yes. There may be challenges. Yes. There may yeah. have been, you know, trauma, uh, pain, loss, grief, whatever that may be, like whatever these emotions, feelings, things are that are feeling difficult, problematic, and unable to come out of, it's not, like you. And I think that's the difference yeah. of, you know, when we personalize these things, because I had this conversation related to failure with somebody else, you know, like another guy I was talking with was, um, another podcast guest of mine, Dean Fox was telling me, you know, personalizing failure. Right. So having a business that yeah. went bankrupt and saying, yeah. I'm a failure. <laughs> My business yeah. was not I am. So when, yeah. when we personalize these things, right. And like, say you have it like, a diagnosis or not, say you've been hospitalized or not, or whatever the situation may be. But when you, when, you, when you look at that experience and say, wow, I'm the problem because I had this experience or I struggle with this, it's yeah. me. And I feel like that's a lot harder to come out of because it's, oh, you don't see well, it's a, conditioning, a possibility, yes. right? Well,
1: I, well, you don't even yes. see the, the shackles that you have because yeah. they're, they're so it's so in your face that you don't even see it. Or, or it's so normal that you don't, you're not seeing it that way because I mean, look at an abusive relationship, for example. You don't think you're an abusive relationship, especially if you're, if your intention is to help that person. You don't think that, well, you know, they don't have to be accountable because they're sick and they're allowed to do that. They're of course, they're allowed to treat me that way because I, I said this or I did that. And it's like, no, like, no, there's definitely like, there's definitely something wrong with it. But when you take a step aside, Like with intention and in a lot of ways, like in an abusive relationship, you can have friends that are outside and they go, wait, I saw this whole thing happen. That's not cool. But that's the same thing with intention. So like, even if, you know, I I love that, that story, because I was just talking to somebody about success, um, one of my friends and and they were like, I don't feel very successful. And I was like, well, do you base your success on quality or quantity? And, and also like, how able are you? I didn't say this part to them, but how able are you (laughs) to like, um, to see the things that you did get out of the situation. So like, if your intention is to go in, like for me, like with anything like my EP, my movie, um, any of the things that I do in these podcasts and interviews and stuff like that, like if my intention was to get all of the um, critical acclaim in the world or to get realized or to have people, you know, huge amounts of viewers, then I would be a failure. I'd be a horrible failure. Everything I did would be, you know, rotten and horrible, but that's not the point. The intention was to help whoever stumbles across it or whoever's drawn to it by intention. And my intention is to help little by little, not not all at once. And so, you know, they all do add up. And and I'm sure if I took an accumulative, like look at the views or the interactions on all the platforms with all the interviews and podcasts, all of the media I've put out, um, it would be substantial. Because even if it's 2000 people, still 2000 people, right? So that's where intention helps with that is like, you go, well, okay. um, What was my intention? Because if it wasn't to be super famous and successful in a a traditional sense, then um, what was it? And if it's, not where I would want it to be, then what did I learn during that process? And that immediately strips all of that away, you know, and that's hard. I'm not saying that's easy. That's not something. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, a
0: hundred percent. And that, that literally brings me to the point that you just brought up of like the intention of why are you doing the things you're doing and doing it to help other people, right. And to to reach someone through communicating this message. And that brings me to the point of how, you know, you've been able to help people through releasing Your film a chance, so I would love to hear you get get into this. Like, talk to me about it. Like, what is it about? What inspired you or led you to create the film?
1: Yeah, um, I think, uh, and I'm not pointing fingers to like (laughs) point out flaws, but. There, I think you said documentary earlier on accident.
0: Yeah. And, oh. And,
1: and yeah, but, but Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's it is though, and that's and that was okay. so fun for me to hear because I was like trying to calculate it in my mind of like, well, is it? And I was like, yeah, of course, because. Um, so the film is about uh, paranoid schizophrenia, which uh, recently, uh, at, well, I guess 2013, but recently to normal people, because who who knows to look for these things. Um, there's a handbook that basically all the um, psychiatric professionals come to um, and, and they, they revise
0: the after DSM. a certain amount
1: of time. The DSM, DSM. yeah. Um, this one's DSM 5. So, in DSM 4, schizophrenia, like many other illnesses, is broken up into stages or different types, subsets. Um, it turns out that they actually revised this and Paranoid Schizophrenia in 1985 was the correct way of thinking about it at the time, which oh, is, um, so the work is, is based off a poem by Stephen King called Paranoid Achant. Um It's a hundred lines. It's, um, I adapted it and expanded it greatly, uh, changed a little bit of the context so that I could make what I needed to make for myself, um, but it still follows the same, uh, the, the poems in there, it's what the character's writing. It's, it still is about p- Paranoid Schizophrenia. Um, but the DSM-5, um, instead of designating it as a subset of a general illness, it describes it as a spectrum. So it's a sliding scale. There's paranoia is a part of schizophrenia. It's not a specific form of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And so that's really interesting. And I, I I want to put that out there because I don't think a lot of people know that. And, um, it's, it's good to know. Um, but, um, basically i i'm a huge stephen king fan i've read uh about 40 of his novels wow, and yeah. um, in a three-year period from 2017 to 20 well um let's see what's what's the year
0: 2021 <laughs> 2021 so, yeah yeah <laughs> what a, year a, a, <laughs> what year is it uh so
1: yeah about three years of of reading and i've i've read some of his heftiest things some of his smallest things and um i stumbled across the skeleton crew which um a chant was, a paranoid chant was published in, and uh Will Patton read it, and then there's a, there's a, uh, a accompanying piece that came before it that was published separately called The Ballad of the Flexible Bullet, which was um, in Skeleton Crew as well, and it was read by Michael C. Hall, and so there are these really incredible performances, and, and the poem and that short story, um, I guess it's maybe closer to a novella, but they, um they really touched me in a certain way where I felt very like uh, I felt like I I was very connected to it in the sense that I knew exactly what the characters were going through Um, which I found interesting because I was like well I think I'm pretty sane you know and and all through my life I've been a, a writer and an artist and so when I show people my stuff they're always like whoa how did you embrace that feeling like how do you know what that's like and I'm like well, my little secret is, is that I deal with it all the time, you know, uh, having BPD and, and dealing with panic disorder and, and dealing with, you know, these really intense things. Um, I know what it's like to feel paranoid, to have hallucinations, to have schizophrenic tendencies and um, which is something I struggled with my entire life. And, um, and so I saw that and I, I, I was, it just lingered with me. And, and then I had this idea to do as many short films as possible to kind of build up a directorial credit because I decided to be our, screenwriter and director way into my college career Um, and then I kind of let it go for a little bit my dad died and then I was like I need something to do and when I graduated I had already written a draft of the script or two and I kind of refined it but it wasn't there yet and then I moved to California and I worked on it even more while I revised some of my other work while I tried to get into film and television and then I decided I didn't want LA anymore. And uh because it's it's really um not a healthy place to be in, in terms of industry. And um I I could see that and I could see how it was affecting my best friend at the time who moved out specifically with me to do that. Um, and you know he was like, I'm going home, I don't ever want to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Well, I I don't think I don't think I have to do it the way they're doing it. And I and I kind of saw it for what it was. And I realized like the lie of Hollywood, one of them is that um, you can't make anything in Holly- without Hollywood as a back-, back, you know, like a spinal system. Like you-, you can't have it without it being the skeletal framework of what you're going to do with your life, which is total bullshit. And you can crowdfund anything you want. You can do whatever you want. And um, that's what I did. And I crowdfunded my film and I spent the next, year and a half shooting it and editing it and being in post-production and then the pandemic hit we went through four editors and then um i i kept getting annoyed with the process and i like i said synchronicity or serendipity whichever one is is more relatable to you or whoever's listening um that's what happened and my life's filled with these kinds of meaningful coincidences and um I was like annoyed at the fact that it wasn't coming out because it was something in my life that had happened so long ago, almost three years, it, it, it's three years ago. Wow. And uh, I was like, I've moved on, I've, I've, I'm here now doing this and I'm holding on to this part of my life that I didn't, I didn't want forever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wow. you know, like probably the hardest part of my life. And and the thing about this uh, script I found was really important and, and this is probably why it took so long is that people needed to be in COVID For them to fully understand the film because even people who don't have struggles with quote-unquote mental illness the way i do they're like this is like being inside during covid this is like what it's (laughs) like seeing all of the government shit going on all the political stuff going on and like not being able to go out into the world and like experience it it's like being trapped in this room and like having these paranoid fantasies and but the thing is like it's real and so even people who aren't dealing with full-fledged illness or condition of any sort they're they're like they understand it. And it's, it's very interesting to me. But uh, the part about your comment on documentary, which is really interesting to me, um, the Freudian slip, was that um, (laughs) it it is, it is a documentary, because I, I adapted it from the poem. And obviously, there was the task of adapting work of somebody that I was a huge fan of, and I feel I understand on a very deep level, and making sure that it was accurate to them, not just, you know, like, oh, I took a cool property, and then you know, try to make a big buck off of it. And in fact, I do not I'm not monetizing this at all. It's all free. It's all, you know, easy to access. And wow. um, so I, that yeah. was not the intention. And I, I took my BPD experience and my grief experience and my experience of dealing with isolation and denial and all these things. And I put it into the script. So, um, you know, the, the story goes that when I watched the final cut and I had time to sit away from it, I had time to like digest it, I realized how much of my struggle over the last three years and, and, you know, 20, 23 years before that, um, (laughs) um, were, you know, just injected into the script. And, and I feel like you can see all the, all the, you know, markers of BPD attack and all the things of schizophrenia in there, you can see panic and, and dysphoria and all these things in it. I
0: think that's like, honestly, the most beautiful part of that, of you take, so taking like, not only your own experiences, putting that into something where someone can watch that. And like you said, people watching it, you know, during COVID being like, wow, you know, this is, you know, just like COVID, like this is, but then understanding underneath it all, that's like the experiences that real people have on a daily basis and kind of like being able to educate people in that way, because that's something that I always find so interesting is, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I did not have a clear understanding at all of mental illness or, you know, I've, I've heard about it, you know, I've had, I've had conversations about it, but everything I heard was always very, very negative. So I didn't really have an under, I didn't really know what was going on. So I think that's always amazing when people put things out to show people like, Hey, watch this, listen to this. This is like what it's like from this person's point of view perspective. So that way we can kind of you know, educate people more and say, like, this is what it's like to live with these experiences and kind of give people just an idea of, you know, what a day-to-day looks like and what, what is, you know, and of course not to say, like, everyone who has uh, borderline personality is this way, everyone who's bipolar is this right. way, you know, and of and course, yeah, of course it varies, you know, depending on, like, what, it varies, right? So kind of just being able to give people something to, hold on to and see and be like, wow, and, like, and walk away from that and say, now I feel like I have a better understanding of this. Now I feel like yeah. I have learned something that I didn't know, because, you know, there might be people out there, you know, who are not, don't really understand mental illness that much because maybe they haven't been oh, exposed to it, right? That's Well, my, and-
1: my lead in the film, I had to, I had a very long process of a couple months of rehearsals with Austin Gold. And he's now a really, really great friend of mine. And, and we're working on other things together. And, and, and uh, we have a personal relationship, not just a work relationship. And um, he's great. But the thing is, it's like, when we started doing the, the work, he was like, so what's my intention here? Like, I'm fighting my brother. What's the intention? How what am I feeling? What am I going? I'm like, you're not. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you're schizophrenic. You don't, have like say when you're sick and when you're not you don't have a say when you're you know that's what mental illness is you just you can be accountable and aware over time but it takes time and it takes practice Um, and it's not something you can always put a cap on and um, especially when you're really in it like you almost have no control it's almost like just a gut reaction it's reactivity Mm -hmm. and uh, for him it was like okay but like what am I thinking I'm like I don't know what are you thinking like I have these moments where like he'd be super dazed afterwards, and like if you've ever been through a, a, a any attack of any sort, whether you're bipolar, borderline, oh, yeah. you anxiety, depression, yeah. any of that, it's 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 entirely exhausting and draining. Like there's a, there's a core essence from you just gone, and um, he could not understand that, and it was really hard to explain it because I'm like, well, you have to be through it, and uh, even today we talk about the fact that like he had to go to such he had to make himself almost almost personally incite these episodes while he was acting so that he could get it and it wasn't until we started really shooting that he was like oh, I get it. Like, oh, I understand. Because then afterwards he'd be like, I'm so tired, dude. I know. I'm so exhausted. Because <laughs> he always had to be at like 100, 110, always just like screaming and yelling and fighting and, and, and sleeping and all this stuff. And, and I, I was very clear, like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're going to, one, research mental illness, and then you're going to take on as many of those markers as you can. One of those any of those characteristics or attributes that you can find kind of like almost like a walking phoenix doing joker which this oh, is before yeah. way before that movie and um we we were sitting down and i'd be like okay you're only sitting here you're not getting up and he'd be like dude i have to walk like i have to move i'm like no sit down like you're gonna stay here i'm like that's what it's like and he's like "Dude, it's like you know just kind of freaking out but he was always willing to just like really throw himself into it and i think if if everybody were to be as willing to try and experience something somebody else was going through in yeah. that fashion i mean of course wow. there's a very specific setting but but um you know i wouldn't want everybody to go around having bbd attacks all the time Although oh yeah I, no I, I <laughs> they more than i think they do but yeah uh i had to teach him i had to teach him that and um you know and, and that's one of the things is like he called me up a couple of weeks ago and was like hey bro like i'm sorry for calling you like random but like what what's your like theory on like the spirituality stuff and like this meditation and like how do I practice it and like can can, you, can I come over and like hang out with you and do it I'm like yeah of course and so like you know if everybody were able to just take a second and like learn these things and like try to experience them or at least be open then things like that would happen where they're like hey let me come spend the day with you and like learn something that only you know
0: yeah, because of your
1: experience. and and he's he's definitely changed
0: because of it. So it's like, wow, it's really cool that's really that's awesome. That is yeah. so, so cool. Oh, my goodness. wow. well, i I also agree with you on that point, too, because sitting here thinking, about this. You know, I've, I've had two panic attacks in my life. So I, I can imagine, you know, how difficult that would be to try to like, when you're do especially doing a film, right. And trying to direct and then, and then tell, tell, um, people like, you know, this is, you know, what you should be doing. And then they're like, wait, why? Like, and they're trying to understand understand. it too. Like, right. They're kind of like, they don't understand, but they're trying to, and it's like a struggle because even from like yourself, like, like, it's like, how do you tell people like how they should be acting because it's like like and then you're kind of like trying to think back to something as a reference point like uh, like something that yeah. has happened to you as a reference point of like well this is what it was like for me and then also kind of that thing you brought up of the control part of it because I totally yeah. understand what you're talking about because you know just from my my experience right when i you know had those panic attacks and you know was hospitalized and looking back at that reflecting on that and sitting there and thinking you know wow like how how was I unable at that time in my life to control the way I was acting? Cause that that was something I always struggled with being younger, you know, hearing, you know, my mom talk about her sister who was bipolar. I was like, how do, I was like, how do people just lose control? I'm like, how do they just not like know how, (laughs) yeah. I'm (laughs) like, how do you just not know how to like be quiet or act like, like I guess like a socially acceptable way to be acting in public how do people just not know how to do that how do they lose control and then until it happened to me and even now today right now sitting here trying to explain that it's really hard for me because I still don't know how to really like articulate that and say, well, you know, when this happened, this is this is why, you know, and to walk people through like step one, step two, this is it just it just was. And I'm like trying to put that into something. It's like very
1: BPD, it's very interesting because when I looked it up, it was like reading um it was like reading an article written about me. And I was like, these people don't know who I am. And then I'm like, (laughs) but I guess you don't need to because there are archetypes. Like it's not to say that everybody with BPD will do the same thing, but it's to say that most likely there are going to be similar overlapping moments or behaviors or characteristics. Um, and when I, when I first learned about it, I was like, Oh, okay. So basically all my research is saying that it's not insanity, but it's not, not insanity. So I'm only crazy sometimes. And I, yeah. always, I made the joke of like, well, I'm all, I had the, I'm sometimes crazy but so crazy or crazy so little of the time that there's really no label for me disease. So um I was laughing about it and then um one of my friends who has BPD they they were like yeah that is a really confusing label but cuz I was like I don't have split personalities. And then and then they were like yeah but when you get into a certain level of distress like when you're in an episode you do forget who you are for a second don't you? Mm-hmm. And I was like Oh yeah, and they're like, that's the borderline part, and I was like, oh, so it's temporary. It's a temporary madness that um, ejects you from your sense of self.
0: Wow, totally.
1: And and that was something that kind of was like, it clicked for me, and I was like, oh yeah, and, and that's that's what it is, you know. And Amanda calls it splitting, which I love. Yes. It is. I feel one way, and then I'll think totally different than the way I feel, um, and that is called splitting because you're technically fighting with two halves of yourself that are completely op- like opposite most of the time. Wow. And that's a physical pain. And, and so explaining that to people's hard because some people don't have that sense of identity yeah. that's taken uh-huh. from them. They, don't, they will never have that and that's great. But when you're trying to explain something or trying to get sympathy for something or empathy for something, it's like, okay, that's difficult. And, and like with my partner, um, a lot of my episodes result in like yelling. I'm very mm-hmm. loud, but I'm not yelling. Uh, yeah. it's the only thing I can do at that time. And so bi- a big thing that we have to deal with because my partner deals with their own things is like, I'm not yelling at you, but of course yelling also triggers many things for them
0: oh, and yeah. for yeah.
1: everybody else, because we've been trained to, to think that loud noises are bad yeah, uh, <laughs> and, uh, that any kind of, uh, breaching of a certain threshold of volume is a bad thing. Um, but in the same way that, uh, we were talking about how emotions are one emotion. I was also talking to you about the fact that like, if you took the context out, if you took the interpretation out, a lot of the times anger can look like excitement or yes. happiness can look like sadness. I remember like that.
0: that you bringing that so, up. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's like, it's like a really interesting thing to talk about because yes, most people are conditioned to think that screaming is bad, but, um, The hardest part for somebody with BPD who has shouting matches about things that they don't want to really yell about is the fact that like, you just hurt this person and you just triggered them into something that you would never do on purpose and you can't take it back. Mm All you can do is be accountable and say, "Well, I'm wow. sorry. I'm trying yes.
0: again." Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. I, l- I just love yeah. the way you break you break this down and explain it because it makes it honestly very, very easy to understand, especially for like for people who d- who don't know as much about this or these experiences and, and they're trying to yeah. learn more. They're trying to understand it. So that kind of leads me to something that um I would really love to ask you because yeah. I always find this question very interesting and like how what people say and like the responses. So if you could give your younger self One piece of advice, what would you say and why?
1: Oh man, Uh, I think the only thing that really matters is the fact that nothing is real, unless you make it real. Because I think a lot of this boils down to like, somebody told you something and you believed them. Um, And and the thing is, is like, even in really difficult situations um, where that ideology or policy is widespread, um, it doesn't mean that it's real and it doesn't mean that it's right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, you see something like again, the 40 hour work week and you're like, but I don't feel comfortable working all the time. And I know that's not the way I work. I know I'll be fatigued. I know I'll break down. So how do people do it for their, all, their entire lives? Well, I think if you find people who aren't doing passion jobs, like running their own business or doing something in a field that they really, truly love, um, you'll find that they don't do very well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and they lie about it. They're like, yeah, I'm doing fine. I, I love working <laughs> my job. And then they're, they're doing horrible. Um, but they're not even aware of how horrible they're doing. So they can't even tell you how horrible they're doing. It's not mm-hmm. that they're lying to you. It's just, they don't know what to say. Um, and that's something I would, I would tell myself is like, nothing is true.
0: I think that's amazing. Just true. the fact of, you know, like what you said right there is nothing is real unless we make it so because if like that kind of brings me back to this whole point of you know when you when you think a certain way for so long and for so many (laughs) so many so many years it's very hard to change that and to come out of that and to like really transition like if you're trying to you know like take better care of yourself physically and just you know you know you feel like something is wrong and you're dealing with something you're struggling with something but you don't know how to get out of it and you feel like all right I just got to stay here I think that is such a great piece of advice to like to have because we really do create our own realities because, you know, like you said, things that are told, you know, we, we hear, we absorb, we digest, we take in and we believe this to be, you know, this is the only way it can be. Um, just that, Incredible, incredible, incredible. You know, this, 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 this whole conversation, like I've just really enjoyed, you know, being able to connect with you and just hear your story, hear your experiences, you know, not only with, you know, BPD border, borderline and just like the, the whole thing you put together with this film and putting this out there and just, and, and what you're doing to really help people have a better understanding of what these things are, what they look like, what they mean, how they affect people, I think is just incredible. You know, the work you've done is so, so needed and so necessary and is definitely making an impact and definitely helping people, you know, of all all kinds of things, right? People who are struggling, people who have struggled, people who have never struggled with their mental health in particular, but maybe just want to have a better understanding. And, you know, that's why I was really glad, you know, just to like virtually sit down with you and have this conversation out here on Crooked Illness and, you know, really bring this out and just, you know, let people know, you know, where, where can they find your film, A Chant? YouTube, t- like, let them know where, where can we find Yeah,
1: this? it's, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. It's just my name. Uh, yes. I think it's, If you go to channels and you just type in my name, or if you filter it to channels, you'll find it. Even if you just type it into the search and then
0: down
1: the list. Awesome. Um, Yes. Oh
0: my gosh. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for, you know, get it, jump in on that call with me, you know, being able to record this today. I'm so excited to release this episode and, you know, just for everyone listening, you guys, you know, whether this is like the morning or nighttime, whatever time of day it is. I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. And I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I have enjoyed taking part in this conversation. And on that note, I'm going to end it here and say goodbye to you guys. And also goodbye to my incredible guest, Jamie. Bye, Jamie.
1: Bye, thanks for having me.
0: All right, guys. That is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed creating it. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to talk about becoming a guest or to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email to crookedillness at gmail.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at crooked illness, or you can message me on my Facebook page at crooked illness as well. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to Crooked Illness.